0: I'll tell you how I finally stopped chasing the buzz and what I've learned along the way. Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. I'm Jill, and if you're new here, I'm a sober scientist who talks about the science and psychology of addiction. If that sounds interesting, please subscribe. Today, I'm going to talk about sugar. Back when I was drinking, I willingly passed up dessert for years. Even when we were on vacation and dessert was included for free, I just didn't want to eat it. When I stopped drinking, all of a sudden I had a strong desire for the sweet stuff. There are some misconceptions around why this happens and some interesting research on problem drinkers and sugar. In this episode, you'll learn why sober people tend to want to eat all the sugar, how your genetics and childhood influence sweet preference, and what you can do to limit the amount of sugar you're consuming. So let's dig in. There are some misconceptions circulating online about why we want a bunch of sugar when we stop drinking. Let's break down three of them. Myth number one, alcohol is made out of sugar, so when we stop drinking, we need to get the sugar from somewhere else. Alcohol is made out of ethanol. Sometimes we add sugar to it in mixed drinks or in wine, but alcohol has no sugar. Someone who only drank shots of vodka was not getting any sugar, so this myth doesn't explain why they would all of a sudden crave it. Sugar and alcohol are not the same thing. Myth number two. Alcohol turns into sugar when it's broken down, so when we stop drinking, we're missing a big source of sugar. Alcohol is broken down into something called acetaldehyde, which is 10 times more toxic than ethanol. This intermediate is broken down into acetate. If you listen to episode 33, then you know that acetate quickly makes its way to the brain and provides us with energy. This becomes the preferred source of energy in the brain over glucose. Eventually, alcohol will be broken down into carbon dioxide and water and eliminated from the body. It never turns into glucose. Myth number three, you need to completely eliminate sugar. Our body's preferred source of energy is glucose, which is sugar. Eliminating all sugar from your diet would be pretty difficult. You couldn't eat any fruit, potatoes, drink milk, or eat most packaged products. Carbs and sugar are not the enemy unless you have diabetes, struggle with obesity, or struggle with food addiction. It's important to watch your sugar intake, but if you want to enjoy a little junk occasionally, it's fine. When you stop drinking, or even if you're years in, you may find sugar cravings popping up. I had a lot during my first six weeks of sobriety, and every couple months, I'll have another big burst of sugar cravings. This is totally normal. Think about it. We've known since before we can even remember that sugar is amazing and feels good. Alcohol was our preferred way of feeling good, but now that we don't drink, we want something else that makes us feel good. Since we have a fundamental belief that sugar feels good, it's very natural to just go to that. This is fine unless sugar is a problem for you, or you find yourself being unable to control how much you consume, feel guilt and shame afterwards, or start thinking about sugar when you aren't actively eating it. So take a second and think about it. What else do you just know in your heart feels amazing? There's alcohol and sugar. That's all I got. And by feel amazing, I mean instant good feeling. I don't mean like you go exercise and it takes a bit and then you feel amazing. I mean instant That's why we go to sugar. We go from one thing that makes us instantly feel great to another thing that makes us instantly feel great. Eating also causes a release of dopamine in our reward center, and studies have found similar patterns of brain activation in response to food and drug cues. People with substance dependence show greater activation in areas of the brain responsible for determining how rewarding something is and a greater release of dopamine compared to people without substance dependence. Obese people have a greater activation in these brain areas in response to palatable food cues and in regions of the brain associated with drug craving. Even though their brains are more activated by these cues... People with substance abuse issues and obesity have less activation of their reward center when they actually consume the drugs or food. What this means is they have a more powerful pleasure response to the idea of drugs or food compared to non-addicted people, but when they actually consume it, it doesn't feel as good for them as it does for non-addicted people. With alcohol and other drugs, we see this as a tolerance and needing to drink or use more to get the same pleasure. With food, the idea is that people with obesity may overeat to get the same rewarding feeling as they did before. So it's a different kind of tolerance. So one of the best parts about drinking was the anticipation, the excitement. Like when you would go to the bar and order a drink, you would instantly feel good. And it's similar with food. The anticipation is very rewarding for people that struggle with food, drug, or alcohol issues. But the actual act of doing it isn't as pleasurable. Kids have an increased preference for sweets because this attracts them to high caloric foods while they are growing and developing. Sweet taste can reduce pain in a similar way that a runner's high does. It triggers the release of endorphins that then interact with our opioid receptors to cause dopamine to be released. We discussed this a lot in episode 11 if you missed that one. It's all about endorphins and the opioid system and is one of my favorite episodes. As we age, the intensity of sweetness that most of us prefer declines or should decline. For sober people, studies suggest that sweet appetite is related to alcohol appetite. Sweets are more pleasurable to consume than other food, and studies have found that consumption of candy and refined sugar is inversely related to alcohol intake. This means that the less alcohol we drink, the more sugar we eat. This trend occurred during Prohibition. When alcohol was unavailable, the consumption of sugary foods skyrocketed. Animal models show that greater ethanol intake is related to sweet preference, but human studies are conflicting so far. Some studies have found that people with a family history of alcoholism who do not struggle with alcohol themselves have a higher preference for sweetness than people without a family history of alcoholism. The intensity of their sweet preference was similar to levels that are preferred by children. A 2010 study found that children who had depressive symptoms and had a family history of alcoholism had a preference for much sweeter drinks, and children with just depressive symptoms and no family history of alcoholism had a greater preference for sweets in general and were more sensitive to pain. Kids with depressive symptoms and a family history preferred drinks that were equivalent in sweetness as a can of Coke with double the sugar in it. Kids without this family history or depression preferred drinks that were 33% less sweet. The researchers had three hypotheses as to why this was. First, these children were more likely to have mothers who were obese and had mood disorders. This could mean that their sweet preference was a learned behavior from their parents. They observed their parents enjoying sweets and developed a sense of what should or shouldn't taste sweet based off of that, so it was a learned behavior. Second, these kids may be less sensitive to sweet tastes and require higher concentrations of sugar than other kids to get the same level of pleasure and perceived sweetness. Studies on adults have found that depressed people require more sugar in something before they perceive it as sweet and rated different sugar solutions as more pleasant and less sweet than non-depressed adults. Third, the kid's preference for more intense sweetness could reflect an altered reward system that needs more intensity to release enough dopamine to be considered pleasurable. So what can you do if you find yourself eating all the sugar now? If you're in early sobriety, then just chill and eat the sugar. You're doing something incredibly hard by not drinking, so just focus on that. When we try to commit to doing all the things, we give up pretty quickly from overwhelm, one thing at a time. If you're more comfortable in your sobriety, then you need to embrace the power of telling yourself no. If you want to eat less sugar, then stop buying it. If it's not in your house, then you've greatly increased the energy barrier to getting sugar. Next, if you're having a sugar craving, then just tell yourself no and wait for the craving to pass. It'll suck the first couple times. But before you know it, it's your new normal. Sometimes I make a rule for myself that I'm only allowed junk on the weekend, and that helps me say no during the week. When I want to enjoy some sugar, I embrace the fact that I'm probably going to eat the size of the container, so I just buy the amount that I want to eat that night. I don't leave extra junk sitting around. Overall, you may like sugar because of your genetics, your childhood, your mental health, and because you know it's an alternative source of instant pleasure. Whatever the reason is, it's completely normal to be craving sugar in sobriety. It has nothing to do with the actual alcohol. It's just that we're going from something that gave us instant pleasure, instantly took away our problems, instantly made us have fun, to nothing. And the only other thing that we know that will do that for us is sugar. So it's not that your body is craving it, it's more like your mental health, like your mind is craving sugar. So just focus on not drinking. And when you're comfortable with that, Then you can tackle something else. You don't need any fancy supplements or to change your diet or try to replace it with fruit or try to replace it with tea or try to replace it with anything. Just focus on telling yourself no, resisting the craving and not keeping sugary foods in your house. Once you resist a craving, you've given yourself power. Now you know you can do that. The next time you're hit with a craving, You already know you can get through it without giving in. And every single time you do that, you get tougher and tougher. When you try to replace it with stuff, you're just like distracting yourself and you never have the confidence that you could beat a real craving. So I encourage you, unless sugar is an actual issue for you, to just practice telling yourself no and getting through it to the other side. You will be so proud of yourself and so much tougher for it. I hope this episode answered your questions. I actually recorded a secret episode of the podcast that's going to remain unpublished. All you have to do to get this episode is rate and review the podcast and send me a screenshot. So there's a bunch of you that have already done that. So just send me an email with a screenshot and I will send you the secret episode. It's an FAQ on the top three questions that I usually get. There's a link in the show notes to learn more about it. And I will talk to you guys next week.